0: Welcome to episode five of My Digital Life for June 18th, 2013. This is part two of the globalization of podcasts as we continue on the topic that we started last week. And this week we have Nicole Simon, who's out of Berlin, Germany, and she's going to share her thoughts about international podcasting. And then I'm also going to give an update on my Nissan Leaf and. My my uh, experiences with the with the Leaf. It's a it's a hundred percent electric car, and I just want to forewarn you: look out. uh, This is a long episode ahead. It should be well over an hour, so uh, you know, take it in chunks if uh, that's what you need to. Um, But if it's too long, I understand. I'm Rob Greenley, and thank you for downloading and uh, just. Possibly clicking and playing this episode from the, the website at robgreenly.com. I can certainly be reached at rob at robgreenly.com or on Twitter at robgreenly, and that's the last name is spelled G R E E N L E E. The show is also in iTunes and in the Windows Phone podcast area. It's also on Stitcher and SoundCloud. I manage the podcasts on Windows Phone for Microsoft, so if you are a podcaster and you are not in the Windows Phone podcast directory, send me an email to podcasts at microsoft.com and would be more than happy to, to help out there. So let's jump in and do a quick rundown on the topics the, for this week, and I gave a little teaser for that earlier. This is going to be part two of the globalization of podcast discussion with Nicole Simon, who is a very early podcaster and social media consultant out of Berlin, Germany. Nicole is very familiar to the podcaster community here in the U.S., and uh, we're continuing this topic from last week, and And I'm going to get Nicole's views on native local languages and podcasting, and she's going to talk about uh, you know, a whole lot more stuff too. The The conversation is rather long. It's about an hour. And uh, here's a little clip from that.
1: It was the 15th of October of 2004. I was on the Engadget website. I pressed play on a web player and it hit me after 15 seconds. Oh my God, I can have free English content as much as I want in the topics I want because I'm interested in tech. I'm interested in in the nerd stuff and I can... I can, oh my God, I can have hours and hours of audio input. And I started really listening for, I would say, two years, several hours a day to all kinds of podcasts. And I was happy and my English was getting better. Uh, And then I moved over. This is where we met, for example, to meet those kind of people. I was part of that crowd. I was just living on a different continent but then going over it became more and more easy uh to engage in this kind of language and nowadays i'm so bad i can't go to the movies because they all still show dubbed movies i only watch dvds or i watch american television through vpn services and i live in an international world i live and think in english and i actually have friends uh go to me and say you're german you're supposed to at least try to speak german
0: well, I'm also in this episode, and it's actually going to come up uh, first, is I'm going to share my thoughts on having driven an electric car, my Nissan LEAF, for the past two years. Uh, it's going to be a quick rundown on my, my observations and thoughts and sharing some, some stats. I have a 2011 Nissan LEAF. Um, my car is like one of the first 2000 cars uh, LEAF's made. It came out of Tokyo, Japan just prior to the the big earthquake that hit uh, Tokyo back in 2011, 10. I can't remember exactly if it happened. I think it was 2011. I actually, I used a quick charger for the first time um, this past week. So I'm going to talk about that and also the sounds that the leaf makes. There's a lot of confusion about that and people don't quite know what that sounds like. So I'm going to play a little clip from that. And I also got a software update from the dealer this week, Um, so I'm going to share a little bit of that as well. Before we jumped into the main topics of the show, I wanted to share some of my digital highlights of the week. These are things that uh, have kind of sparked my my attention and focus a little bit uh, this past week uh, around the kind of digital media side of the fence. I started live video streaming using a an $149 drop cam. Now these are becoming the uh, the, the hot and bothered kind of kind of device out there. Uh, you can go check it out at Dropcam.com, and it'll give you lots of details on this. Uh, I'm actually using it as a uh, you know streaming, just playing around with it in my backyard, um, animals that come into my backyard, and things like that. It's it's not a real cool application but it's 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 really taught me a lot about this kind of set up a camera that's connected to your wi-fi network and you can stream anything from you know eagle cam to a security cam if you just want to put it on your your back porch or on your front door so you can keep an eye on the the front part of your house it's it's all kind of cloud enabled it enables you to to actually um DVR your live stream and with the $149 price it comes with unlimited uh, live streaming so it's actually a really really good deal Um, but you do have to pay a monthly fee if you want to use like the DVR capability like they'll store up to 14 days uh, of uh, of video and you can go in actually into the online software and cut out snippets of your live recording and um, save them to your local hard drive. and you can share them. You can also get an embed code that will put a player onto your site. And if you want to see what this looks like, just go to my blog at robgreenly.com and check it out. And I also have been exploring a a new live streaming box this past week. Uh, uh, it's made by a company here in the Seattle area called Paladin, and it's at yourpaladin.com and, and that's spelled P-A-L-A-D-I-N.com. And they're going to be actually be on the New Media Show this coming Saturday. Um, so if you want to check out more details about these guys, this is basically a really small, compact um, Windows PC that basically runs Wirecast software, or live streams uh, software on it that that allows you to do um, multi-camera video productions to record or live live stream. So it's definitely worth. Checking out. Um, it's going to be on the New Media Show this coming Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, noon Eastern Time. If you want to check it out, so um, I'm going to have the the founder of the company um, on the show to give a give a live demo of how how it all works. It's a competitor to the whole kind of live stream TriCaster thing, but it's a much more compact device. So. It's definitely worth checking out if you're a new media creator, if you're a podcaster that's doing a live video, or if you want to do like mobile events and things like that and need a compact box to be able to do that. So let's go ahead and, and jump into the main topic area, and that's uh, that's my Nissan LEAF. So I wanted to, to start off and talk about EVs here, uh, or, or 100% electric vehicles, since there is this kind of this gray area that happens out there when people talk about this topic, they, they tend to talk about EVs in the context of, of Leaf and Volt. Well, Volt is a range kind of extender kind of electric car. So it's not really an electric car. So what I'm going to talk about today is a car that has no gas, no oil, has very minimal maintenance, and that's a Nissan LEAF. And I've had one since uh, since June of 2011. I have a blue Nissan LEAF. I've got about 18,000 miles on the car. and my, my experience has overall been very, very good with the car. I have had very low issues with the car not working or having problems, or the common perception is, is that you know the whole range anxiety thing. Though I, I say that range anxiety exists, right? You have to think about this car every time you drive it how far it's going to go, whether it's going to get there, am I being too ambitious, and how far I can go based on the time of the year. So you really have to be intelligent about the car. It's not, the electric cars haven't gotten to a point where you can just, just like a gas car, you can just drive and drive. And if you need to get more gas, you just pull over. It's not quite that simple. It's fine for most driving. The other real positive aspect to it is that there's very little dealer service that you need. The, the only thing that you really have to do to the car is tire pressure, rotate the tires, or uh, replace air filters, wiper blades, your uh, washer fluid, brake fluid, and occasionally get a battery check. So there really isn't much maintenance you have to do to this car. It's not like you're changing oil filters and the oil every few thousand miles. You just don't have to do that kind of stuff. And I also just uh, charge the car in my garage. I have a 220-volt two, um, charger. Made by a company called Blink, and um, which was free to me because I, I was a very early early buyer of an electric car. Which the, there was a federal program that was subsidized to install the first group of installations of EV chargers into residential homes, and now now they're expanding into parking garages and in front of WalMarts and and other kind of retail, shopping mall, theaters, that kind of stuff now. And we're starting to see that stuff really kind of grow and develop. So when I got a a tax credit, I paid about $34,000 for the Leaf. I paid for it in cash. And I also got a $7,500 federal tax credit for the car as well, and also did not have to pay state sales tax. So that basically knocked off about 10 grand right off the top of the cost of the car. It actually is a really good, good buy. I bought a Camry back three years before that, four years before that, and paid more money for a Camry. So it actually is a really good deal. The The range of the car is about 55 to 75 miles. It depends on the time of the year. Uh, th- that range varies quite a bit um, based on how cold it gets um, here in the Seattle area. I would say in the winter time, I get probably more in the 50 range. And in the, um, the summertime, I get closer to 75 or 80. So it, The battery is temperature sensitive, and um, that does make a difference. The other part about the car is that it's silent. It's uh, very smooth. And I wanted to also play uh, here a little snippet from my experience in the car and play for you the the sounds that the car makes when it drives at low speed forward. There's been a lot of debate around uh, being safe for pedestrians, and I just wanted to play play for you the, the sound that the car makes um, going forwards and um, going backwards. So let's play that clip. Well, I am in my Nissan Leaf right now, and I wanted to give you kind of a in-the-car audio experience here. And um, what I'm going to do is I, I just got in the car after picking it up from the Nissan dealership. Um, in getting a software update. so this is we'll just kind of give you an audio experience of what it's like to get in the car and and turn it on and and uh, drive away. there's not a lot of sound involved it is a pretty silent car but I, I will actually leave the um, the frontal noise that the car creates it's kind of this whining sound on and then I'll, I'll actually also back up too and you'll be able to hear, all of the, the sounds that are associated with this car. So I'll turn on the car right now and you'll hear some, some music that's played. So what's happened is that the car is booted up and um, the music is played. And I am in the car and uh, we'll close the door now. I'm going to roll down the window so you can actually hear the, uh, the, the driving sounds that the car makes. I'm going to put it into drive right now, and I'm going to put it into eco mode. And so I'm going to drive forward here. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear it really well, but I'm going to stick the microphone out the window. But I'm going to back up now, and you're going to hear the the backup sounds that the car makes. All right. So those are kind of the the sounds that are involved in driving a Nissan Leaf. I'm going to hop on the road and turn off the recorder now. So I can drive safely. So last week I used my um, a quick charger, which is called a level three, it's like 400 plus volt charger. And th- there's more and more of these fast chargers that are being installed um, along the, the major freeways and in at dealers and those kind of places where you can charge your LEAF, um, fully charge it within, th- well, up to 80% within 30 minutes. And and I think that that's a huge evolution of this is being able to charge these cars fast. And more and more of the cars like the Ford Focus, the electric version of the Ford Focus can do a full charge in like three or four hours off of a 220 volt. So they're starting to chip it down. The Leaf is more in the seven to eight hours range. So the newer version, the 2013 Leaf, is more in that range. It can charge, fully charge within three to four hours. So it and really, you don't have to charge as much as people think you have to because you, you never drive the car fully down to, to zero and you don't really want to do that anyway. Most of the time, you're at like 40 or 50%. So you're really only looking at a couple hours charging every night. So it's, it's not as big of a deal as you would think. So I wanted to play for you a little audio clip of, of me actually using um, a quick charger for the first time and I kind of kind of audio describe. This was actually done with a video camera. So the, the audio that you're seeing um, or listening to here will be supplemental to what was seen on the video. So let's play that clip. So I am using a what's called a quick charger, fast charger. This is the first time that I've actually used a quick charger to charge the car. Uh, it should be pretty quick but as you can see it's got quite a quite a rope to it or a wire it's pretty thick. It goes up to this charging unit Nissan Zero Emissions and it has this screen and it's kinda hard to read it but it's showing uh, currently it's charging at 60, it's got 66 percent of an 80 percent charge so when that reaches 100 percent that means that the car will have an 80% charge. So I'm currently at about, about a 50% charge in the car right now. Uh, and it should get it up to 80% probably within about 10 or 15 minutes probably. Because it, it says, I've been told that it will charge an empty battery up to 80% within 30 minutes. So I'm assuming it'll charge pretty quickly. So me back up and get a get a view of this charging station for those that haven't seen one of these before it's it's interesting it's actually sitting right next to a a level 2 charger which is a 220 volt so this charging station here is it's a 440 volt charger Um, and what I understand these things are about $70,000 to actually buy one of these fast charging units so that's my car getting charged with a fast charger. So we'll see how it, uh, it's up. It's already gone up uh, like 5% five, five just in the last minute or so. So it's happening fast. Bye. All right. Yeah, it, it was really interesting using that charger, the, the 400 plus volt level three charger versus the 220 volt one. It's a completely different charge port. The front of my LEAF has two charge ports on it, Uh, one is for 220 and 110 and the other one is like twice the diameter and it has different kind of plug configuration um, that's for the 400 plus quick charge fast charger and that was actually an upgrade that most of the early Nissan LEAF buyers got for their cars and so it was great to actually finally use one i haven't had to because i've just been operating my daily life with my car um, off of my 220 volt uh, charger in my garage which has been really really convenient my leaf has a capacity of 24 kilowatt hours of power so I was only plugged in for like 10 or 15 minutes, and so it was really an interesting experience. Up here in the Northwest, all of our, actually a large percentage of our electricity um, up here in the Northwest comes from hydroelectric. Our electricity rates are a lot less than a lot of other places in the country, and there was a an NPR story that came out here recently. I guess there's a there's a website out there that that tracks uh, what the cost comparison is between. Um, a gallon of gas and the gallon kind of equivalent with electricity. And the the cost per kilowatt hour for electricity here in the Seattle area is about seven to eight cents per kilowatt hour. So that kind of equates to basically a gallon of gasoline, kind of equates to 84 cents of electricity. So you contrast that to a typical gallon price for for gasoline and it's about $4. So you're looking at a comparison between four and 84 cents um, on that. So it's a significant uh, savings in money to drive an electric car. Plus you're, you're not putting out as much CO2. The actual vehicle has zero CO2 that it puts out. Now, obviously there's some CO2 created in the production of the vehicle as well as the uh, the generation of, of the electricity if you're using like coal fire plants and that kind of stuff or gasoline or natural gas-powered electricity plants. But most of the electric electricity we get here in the Seattle area in the Northwest comes from hydroelectric, which is just basically flowing water. So there there is no CO2 generated from that. So I also wanted to uh, play a little audio clip from a— little video that was created by CNET by Brian Cooley who does um the the podcast series um on cars and um he basically ranked the top five EVs currently in 2013 and wanted to to play that here for you the the leaf is still the highest ranked and best-selling mass-produced electric car the top five list Brian will run down which is really really interesting so let me play that for you here
2: we're going to rank these guys by their range on a charge and their miles per gallon equivalent. That's kind of the MPG rating for an electric car. We'll also tell you where they fit on the price scale. Let's go. Number five, the Toyota RAV4 electric. Range 103 miles, MPGe: 76. Prices at a little over 50 grand base. Now this is the new RAV4 electric, not to be confused with that kind of warmed over one that they did originally. It's the only crossover on our list, by the way, and it's a real fresh entrant on the market. It impresses us as the only non-Tesla product that has a Tesla powertrain. Nice pedigree. Handles well, and that range of three digits over 100 miles is the only time you're going to see that until we get all the way to number one. Especially impressive, considering this is also the tallest thing on our list. Number four, the Fiat 500E. Range of 87 miles, MPGE 116. Prices at a little over 32 grand. Now this recent entrant comes in with, as you saw, great numbers on range, MPGE, and price, a nice trifecta. It's more refined, better handling, and more fun to drive than a standard Fiat 500. Charge time is just four hours or so if you've got a 240 outlet. But I slot the Fiat at number four because on a 110 outlet, the charge time is glacial, 24 hours. For a full battery charge. You'll have taken the bus to a Ford or Nissan dealer and bought something else by then. It's also a little too small for most Americans to take seriously, and the same still goes for the Fiat brand at this point. Number three, the Ford Focus Electric, range 76 miles, MPGE 105. Prices out just under 40. Now, pushing 40 grand makes you say, for a Focus? But the car looks great It's teched up, as Fords often are, and leverages the underpinning of what is already a great conventional compact car. Plus, it's got a very sporty demeanor along with its green one. And it can do a real fast charge, full charge in three hours and change on a 240 outlet, which can mean hours less on the teat than its competitors. The chief one being... Number two, the Nissan Leaf. Range 73 miles, MPGe 115, now pricing at under 30 grand. That's part of why I swapped out the Leaf and the Focus on this list since the last time we did it, because of a massive price cut that now makes the Leaf the cheapest EV that seats five. Now, the Leaf still looks like Barney. It's biased toward a smooth ride more than a sporting one, and it charges more slowly on 240 than that Focus. But the new lower price, lower cost to charge and run, and at least the availability of a 480-volt charge, if you can find one, are all compelling to this market. Before I get to number one, I can tell you it will not be the Chevy Volt or the Fisker Karma. As important of electrified cars as they are, they aren't strictly electric cars. They are range extenders. That's a separate list once there are five to compare. Oh, and the next time we do this rundown, the pending Chevy Spark EV may bump somebody off of it. Our number one electric car, hands down, is the Tesla Model S. Range 208 miles, MPG-E 89, base price, though, a little over 70 grand. Now, it's the first EV to win car of the year. It's also like the highest rated car consumer reports has ever looked at. It looks hot, goes like hell, has great range, and you can even option that range up to 265 miles. Its 17-inch central cabin screen rewrites the rules of cabin tech. On the other hand, the former base model, which got about 100-and-something miles of range, was just killed off so now you start at over 70 grand and if you want the 265 mile range you start at a little over 80 grand and up still this car doesn't just accomplish an electric conversion it converted the market to be ready for an electric car that really aspires we cover electric and electrified car innovations all the time at cnetoncars.com i'm brian cooley thanks for watching
0: So yeah, th- that was a great rundown by Brian, and I, and I definitely thank Brian for offering that top five list because it, it really gives a really good crisp view. The The Model S Tesla is the number one, and that's, phew, that's an amazing car. And then number two is the Nissan Leaf, like he ran through the 2013 Nissan Leaf. The Ford Focus Electric is number three, and number four is the Fiat 500E, and number five is the new Toyota RAV4. And I guess very soon GM is going to have a, a 100% electric car, the Chevy Spark. So those are the, the top ones that are on the horizon here and um, actively out there right now. So have an open mind about EVs and go down to a, a dealer near, near you and give a test drive. I think you'll, you'll like what you see and you'll also be changing our, our future the next thing I, I want to get into is uh, talking about at some point here in the future solar panels because I, I would love to power my car with solar panels. So who knows that could be a topic uh, for the future here. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the the main topic of the show this week, and it's part two of the globalization of podcasting and what it means for podcasting's future. I wanted to expand on this by getting a second voice here. I, I want to play my conversation I had with Nicole Simon, who is a social media consultant and author and very early podcaster who lives in Berlin, Germany now, like uh, Karen Hoag from last week. Nicole is a very well-known podcaster here in the U.S. Uh, and has been a, a strong kind of proponent of podcasts in Europe and has been doing that for many, many years. She's going to talk about kind of podcasts and the whole language conversation that we kind of started up uh, last week with Karen. So let's go ahead and play that interview. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me.
1: Happy to be there.
0: <laughs> you're doing some social media and marketing consulting work, and I guess you have some um, some books and some things that you've been putting out here <laughs> recently. Uh, you're calling me from Berlin, Germany, which is really exciting, and your audio quality is fantastic. Thanks <laughs> Thank for joining you. me.
1: Absolutely. And it's so strange to hear you say, from Berlin, because I lived for 20 years in and, and Lübeck and finally made my move here. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm really here. That's, that's fun. And I can talk to you in Seattle and it just had to be the evening. So we get... Uh, uh, adapted on on the time zones. If there's anything I would like to change throughout the world, it's this freaking time zones because they screw up everything. So are you nine hours ahead? Are you nine hours behind? Uh, yeah. But besides that, I'm I'm happy to but, talk to you.
0: But somehow we still manage, right? And things things still mm-hmm. happen. It's just uh, oftentimes they're in weird hours of the day for each of us, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So
0: I actually met you. Um, I guess at various podcasting events, you flew to the United States and dove mm-hmm. in and and got got engaged in what was happening here in the the North American side of uh, of podcasting, I guess uh, getting engaged at that level so early in the game when, when i 'm sure podcasting wasn 't really much of a phenomenon in in Germany in the early days
1: actually, it was so okay. people who know that that podcasting started in the summer of two thousand yeah. and four, and I actually came onto this whole podcasting thing because of language learning. Um And it's something which I have since recommended to many people because that's basically the only way in whatever content you're interested in to get, get around the clock input in audio so you can listen to the language, get used to everything and it's very funny because as children here in Germany uh, you're brought up on British English or what our German teachers do as British English but nowadays thanks for podcasting I have so much of, a, of an American accent that is not unusual for the Americans here to ask me how long I've been living in Germany because my German is so good and that's the point when I look at them and say I am German, oh but you don't have that bad German accent and English, and I said, Yeah, that's thanks to podcasting. Yeah. no we, we talked a little bit previously, and, and in my case, I'm a typical German, and it helps probably, especially for international understanding, to see with, with the languages what that means. When you grow up in Germany, uh, I'm I'm 42 years now, and when I grew up, everything in Germany still to this day is dubbed. Uh, every movie, every television show. Uh, there's no international radio. Every book you can buy. And back then, when I was a teenager, if you wanted to buy a simple paperback, which would bu- cost six dollars or something, I would pay here the equivalent of fifty dollars. So not achievable for any kind oh, of teenagers. Wow. We are brought up. We're brought up by our teachers, who are, of course, German, and we get taught English. It's our first foreign language, usually, starts in fifth grade. And as I have the highest education in school possible, I had a total, with one year repeat, I had a total of 10 years uh, of English in school, but when I left school in '91. For 10 years, I had a rejection phase of of English for some reason. It's one of my biggest regrets. So then 2002, I actually wanted to know if the guy kissed the girl. I watched a TV show. I wanted to know how it moved forward. I knew it already ran in America. So I started looking around and found something. And then I got engaged into movies to train my English again. I got curious. And I also realized, started reading, and it was very hard for me because even though I had this foundation of uh, 10 years of English, that was 10 years ago. And it's hard if you don't have the vocabulary, you rather prefer the German. But for some reason, this time I came into it. And so I was trying hard. to better my English, understanding reading was hard, but it was okay, and suddenly I I found a whole new world of people I'm interested in. I'm a deep tech person, Uh, I belong mentally in the Silicon Valley crowd, and Germany in many cases was so far behind, Um, and then suddenly podcasting came along and the interesting part is I read it in 2004 there were some reports in German but it never clicked and I do have a very bad memory but I can totally remember sitting in my office it was the 15th of October of 2004 I was on the Engadget website I pressed play on a web player and it hit me after fifteen seconds. Oh my God! I can have free English content as much as I want in the topics I want because I'm interested in tech. I'm interested in in the nerd stuff, and I can I can. Oh my God! I can have hours and hours of audio input, and I started really listening for I would say two years several hours a day to all kinds of podcasts and I was happy and my English was getting better Uh, and then I moved over. This is where we met for example to meet those kind of people. I was part of that crowd. I was just living on a different continent. But then going over, it became more and more easy uh, to engage in this kind of language. And nowadays, I'm so bad, I can't go to the movies, because they all still show dubbed movies. I only watch DVDs, or I watch American television through VPN services. And I live in an international world, I live and think in English. And I actually have friends Uh, go to me and say, you're German. You're supposed to at least try to speak German with us. Um, And it's becoming more difficult because English really is an easier language. And it all goes back to uh, the separation of the languages. As a German, uh, some people now start to go international. They go starting to look around and not just use it as a holiday thing. And they are, they are excited, for example, if they can find free content online. They sometimes even pay for it, for example, through uh, companies like Audible or similar like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a hard thing. Only Amazon and co made it possible that, for example, you can buy uh, DVDs, with ha- which also have the English track. Uh, that is a big change, because before you only could buy the videocassette with the one track, and that would have been German, or you would have had to have imports. And most companies uh, only still provide German content, and you have to go through bigger length uh, to get the English content or other foreign content. And the amusing part is that actually Audible is one of the few companies at all which provides you also access to the English part of the library here in Germany, so I'm here. If I'm sitting here and I have Love Film, which is the Netflix from Amazon, I only get German. I only get the German television shows and everything, so I don't use them. I use the American Netflix. So all of that podcasting, in, in a way, was for me my entry drug into. Uh, when you hear me speak English now, very fast, most of that comes from from podcasting.
0: Yeah, I can. I mean. You speak English very, very well. I have to, I have to, have to credit you for being a second language. I think uh, it it could easily become your uh, your first language, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, I mean, yeah, in Berlin yeah.
1: you can get along without without really speaking any German, and we also make a lot of fun of our, our English friends here who have been living here sometimes for two or three years, and then you go, so how's your yeah. German coming? And they go, um. not so much, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, 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 I love it because, um, this, I can participate through the internet, through, uh, I just watch, uh, the WEC and, and I also watch the Google IO keynote. Uh, and I was tweeting with, with my friends at the same time. And I was sitting here in Berlin while it was happening at the Moscone Center. And the only strange thing is when they tell you, oh, yeah, now go to lunch. Lunch, it's nine o'clock <laughs> in the evening. And, and we, we have a chance suddenly to participate. On the rest of the world, and there is a saying I always misattribute it. I think it's not Goethe; it's somebody else. It's Wittgenstein. I think it's they say um, the limits of my languages are the limits of my world. And I think that's totally true. Everything which I can go with in English or in German, I understand, I can participate. And for the rest, it's actually a little bit more complicated. Though tools like on Facebook, there's a translation button. I have friends here in Poland who insist on speaking polish on facebook i can actually translate it a a little bit so babel is getting closer i i curse every single time when i use my nexus because while the google recognition is good in german i have certain things i just want to call and pronounce in english or i have english research and they don't like me to be bilingual they like me to be single uh, monolingual uh, so, I still have to train that a little bit, but I'm also not the normal case. But it's it's getting better. And suddenly, even when I was sitting in Lübeck, uh, I only with, moved recently to Berlin. Even when I was in a smaller town like Lübeck, I suddenly had access to the world. And that's that's awesome. And I still think that podcasting has the biggest part of it. It's still my favorite form of consumption. And I'm uh, set mentioned to you that i actually have to have more podcasts because here in berlin suddenly i have more commuting time through public transport i'm running out of podcasts all the time so i'm i'm out there and trying to figure out new stuff which is exciting
0: yeah and i think uh, you know as content comes into the the podcasting area it is becoming more more global but i've been noticing an interesting um kind of observation that i've been hearing from others about um you know content creation versus kind of consumption as you look kind of globally and what i keep hearing is that content creation um, tends to be um more linked up with with language right so, mm-hmm. so in certain countries or basically all 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 countries if you think about um Mandarin and german and and you know all all these other languages you know around the world um people primarily speak those local country local country languages as their primary right so when they produce content, yes, they are most comfortable probably recording a podcast like this um, in their native language right so but yet, on yeah. the other hand, the consumption side—if they have a second language—they they're probably like you know a lot like you, or they can listen to English and they can get access to a a world of content on you know in North America. You know, it's coming out of you know other parts of the country. They can consume that content. So I guess there's a little bit of a of a struggle there. I guess is the future of podcasting going to be more linked up with? Um, uh, different languages around the world. So if you think about the, the size of China and how China is starting to show up in the top five ranked most downloaded podcast countries, right? It's number four already mm-hmm. and it's starting to ramp up. And, and other countries like uh, Japan and Korea are also rising up and they're already in the top ten. Um, so, so you're starting yeah. to see these these languages that are very global right and, and have lots and lots of people out there and more and more people that uh, will be able to consume that that uh, local language content. What do you think's going to wind up happening? is is English going to maintain um, its dominance in podcasting or do you think that from a content production standpoint that other languages are going to start? Um, Dominating this From a content provider perspective And is there going to be an audience um, For that stuff If people are listening mostly to English content
1: I actually started When I um, When I had that 15th of October And I started my own podcast Somewhere in the middle of November And it took me that long Uh, to get started in podcasting because I needed to secure a web server which was safe against download numbers. I had a full gigabyte of, of quota and uh, from time to time I would help out other podcasting friends who had become more popular um, who had bandwidth issues back mm-hmm. then and said I can, I can host some of your clients, uh, some of your files, no problem and when you asked me to talk to you I said okay, I haven't had a published podcast since 2007 and that is like nearly six years ago, that's bad um, but at the same time I've always been in that mindset of content producer and a mindset, I'm, as you said I'm consultant I teach a lot. I love teaching normal people how to use these tools and a variety of things. And there's one thing, and, and I'm mixing five things together, but I'm, I'll get to them one by one. Most podcasters hate all other kinds of uh, media production, and it's it's their downfall. They just want to do audio. And, and for example, don't want to do show notes or don't think about where else they should publish it. And they say, basically, they want to be radio moderators uh, and, and want to be on radio. That's the, the basic behind it. If you're a modern media producer, uh, you have to understand that there's a word producer in it. And I when I uh, talk to my clients, I always call that you need to leave the point of the consumer. As a consumer, I can say I hate video. As a producer, I have to say, it doesn't matter if I hate it or not. What's my audience? What do they want? Uh, And in my case, for example, when I talk to journalists and they ask me, can we do a video? My first answer is yes, and I hate video. Uh, Because I'm I'm producer mindset. It doesn't matter what I want. And I was involved in something called the European Podcast Award. Mm -hmm and I had to leave that just because of time, but we're still on very friendly terms, and I look uh, fascinated at it, and we have local editors there because most of the people produce in a local language, and I only, as I said, speak speak German and English, and we have people in French and in Italian and all the other big countries, um, and also the smaller countries, and as you said, they are more comfortable in producing something in their own language first because the fluency uh, who somebody like myself has needs to be trained. And most people, while they can understand English, cannot necessarily speak English. Often they have accents, um, they have word flow problems. So that is a hesitation. And then it's embarrassing. The smarter a person is, the more embarrassing they find it if they speak simple And if you don't have a a big vocabulary, you have to speak simple. Hi, my name is Nicole. I come from Berlin. And that's embarrassing if you're an intelligent person. So you need to get over this. And the same when you start podcasting at all in any language, you have this, oh, my God, how does my voice sound? how is that and and this is like doubled when it's when it's a foreign language unless you're really confident and and i have the advantage i knew that people like my voice and i was back in 2004 not only one of the few uh german podcasters uh i also am a woman and i'm talking about tech i knew i had a kind of audience um and they told me years later yeah in the beginning that english was okay but well your voice was nice uh, that that was fine for me the reason to start podcasting, by the way, was to have a reason to speak English because in my daily life I didn't have no reason at all to speak English so that was my uh, speaking of English, the the part what you said about the difference between production and consumption, if I want to start something, I will naturally think about the local language because I'm more safe in it, I feel more comfortable, I know the words, it is not so much effort, and I can also talk to an audience, which I know over the years, especially through my listening, uh, through my watching of movies and, and TV shows, I also build up pop culture knowledge, mm-hmm. So I can talk to you about. Uh, I know what Kansas means, and I know what the red shoes means, and I also know some other things. And that Lindsay Lohan currently still is in the Betty Ford Clinic. Uh, that's that's a whole different. Uh, world, and if I'm not engaged in that, I also feel hesitant because if I do talk about things, um, I might not be using the right stuff. That's the flip side for the, for example, American producers. If they would start sometimes to think about that, a lot of their audience comes from the outside. Maybe they wouldn't be so so specific. Uh, like my my standard example for that is: don't say, oh, think about your 401k. But how you you could say, think about your retirement. Mm-hmm. Both would be understood, but your international audience would say, oh, retirement. Because Americans very often are so obnoxious. We learn that 401k is that retirement thing. Um, but at the end of the day, that's something why more consumption is done. You only have to have a passive understanding. Most of them want to learn language about that. And also, that's maybe another missing part. I have a lot of offering in German for tech. But quite honestly, I like to listen to the Silicon Valley level, and that's not what's provided here. Yeah. So I'm looking out the higher quality, and to be not nice again to you, you have a league of soccer players. Um, and take the take the best team you have and send it to the World Cup. Chances, if you if you get to the half final, that would be a surprise. <laughs> yeah, because that's uh, right. I'm 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 sorry. Because you're not that yeah. good. It's like yeah, it by any chance could happen, but you are not that good because the the level which is played here in soccer uh, or football, as we like to say, is so much higher and so much advanced that you can try as much as you want. Uh, you get the old stars and they still kick ass in, in your case. So in converse, when I listen to tech podcasts, even though language is German and even though they might be clever people, I can listen to the source. Uh, if I'm interested in in fashion or whatever, I probably will watch directly stuff from New York Fashion Week and not what I have around here in Berlin, so that is important it's the the thing you're talking about something where somebody else is offering it at a higher quality content wise then you might have a harder time for people to listen If you're but somebody in an audience where you talk to what I like to call normal people, where the language of English is not as high, you have a much better chance. Of producing in, in local language you have the research in English you can listen to the English stuff and you translate it Germany is quite known for their copycats in, in startup land and it's not very much that we are just copying in ideas and executing them better, it's also adapted to the local market And adapted to the local market means, uh, for example, in in applications, I have the right time zone. My week starts on Monday and not on Sunday. It's all the little things. So depending on the audience you're targeting, it can make so much more sense to go for a local thing. Um, If I listen, for example, to a TV show a podcast, which talks about the current things in america and i I, I listen for example to to Rate. they talk about cable cutting they 're talking about hbo they 're talking about the newest seasons. It took me a while to even learn that you have seasons in America. For example, now everything has stopped, everything has finished, that you have your reruns. Because here in Germany, when we have an American television show, it's just shown. And we were wondering, why the hell do you always have a Christmas episode or a Halloween episode? Well, because you know when it's going to air and you know it's going to be the right time. We have them in the middle of the summer. And this kind of stuff. So we we go back to the point of consumption is also the exotic window into the world. I can get to experience other ideas. There was a feedback I was always getting when I said, why the hell do you listen to me? It was like, I, I like to talk, like to train my English, but just out of curiosity, Why? And they would go, well, you have a different perspective on things and and you have a different viewpoint. And some of that we haven't yeah. thought about before. So that is something where you start listening to others and say, hey, I can I can have a window into their world, how their daily life is. I learned through podcasting, for example, how abysmal the American healthcare system yeah. is. As one podcaster told me, well, I'm really feeling sick. I, sick. I think I have broken ribs, but I need to wait until I can, can get into the ER because I otherwise cannot pay uh, to go there and I can't even go there for coughing medicine. It's like, what? That, and that gives you a different perspective on the international part. So content production, especially if you want to make or earn money, for example, um, you have to go local language because you will not get any local advertisement to go anything international that's not going to work.
0: Yeah. So the, the whole aspect of, of content production versus consumption, I think is a different situation, but, um, but I also wonder about, you know, the, the huge languages around the world, like Mandarin and, Mm -hmm. and uh, other, other languages. I mean, even, even German, what is the future of consumption of podcasts coming out of those countries? Is it going to need to follow the same paradigm somewhat of what's happening here in North America where it's put out um, as English or are we going to see big podcasters come out of like China um, that will be in Mandarin that will find Mm -hmm. global success um, just not in the English speaking countries or it'll just be people that speak Chinese in all countries around the world. So it becomes kind of a different kind of a market for, for podcasting compared to what we've seen today.
1: Professional interest beside, how much interest do you have that there are suddenly 5 million podcasts in German, you personally?
0: Um, I don't um, have a lot of um, desire to listen to because I don't speak German. So, yeah. it's, so it really comes That's comes exactly, to that. that's
1: it it comes again the, the the limits of my languages are the limits of my world i don't care what's happening in india and the only thing i care about indian is like indian food and i really love it i don't care about mandarin uh even though uh, as far as i understand the chinese languages have the problem if you didn't learn them as a child really uh we as westerners lost the hearing comp- uh, the the hearing that we can differentiate the language uh, I'm also sound sensitive, so different kind of screaming doesn't work for me. So for me personally, and for everybody who's listening, the, the question is a, a mated question. If you want to be a producer and you want to have world fame and you want to grow, and then you need to look at market and say, okay, maybe there's uh, one billion Chinese, that's a great potential, but those one billion Chinese have a monthly earning off and I don't know the market, blah, blah, blah. Or I go to Germany and find some German. There are not that many Germans, but uh, at the same time, there's a huge market. So that's a different discussion than, hey, me, myself... I want to do something I want to experience something and that's that's an important question. I personally I thought about it in the past because it has become very often a statement oh look at China everybody is going to speak Chinese um, and I think no my world is going to be English and German and anything which automatic translation will be doing and especially because I am into tech, um, my my world will be focused around North America, more specifically the West Coast. So it, it depends always what kind of audience do you want to reach. If you want to reach a general audience, you could say, I'm going to Italian, French, and German at the same time. We make same content production, have then locally translated it, and we have one time effort and have it doubled in, in four languages, English, Italian, French, and German, or whatever, and have it adapted. That could be a Great content strategy. Yeah. If it's just a personal or semi professional podcaster, I adapted a long time ago. Once I reached that level of fluency, all my communication is in English. If you see on any of my channels a German thing, it's because I did it on Accident. My Facebook is English, my Twitter is English, my Google Plus, where I write, is English. Uh, my podcasting, sometimes when I do it, is also in English because I know. And there's many friends of mine who mix languages, who go partly English, partly German. But you see that and you see a German here, you see a Polish there, you see something you don't know someplace else. Um, you don't speak those languages. It annoys you and you unsubscribe right. or you unfollow and everything. And this is why I tell you, I keep everything 100% English. So you're happy because I'm coming to you in, in a language you speak because you uh, on the other side are my quote unquote market because I want to talk to you, I want to engage with you. And that's not not the German audience. Uh, and I struggle very much with it because basically I have a split personality, especially professional wise. Um, I do have a name here in the German market. I have, As you said, I have a book and I have a video training, which, by, for example, are in German, and I have to redo them completely in English because of the examples and everything, every kind of effort I can put into marketing, for example. I'm looking more towards English because I can hire somebody from anywhere of the world as long as they speak English. I have the world as my customer base, in theory my tax accountant told me I'm allowed to make business with the US and with Switzerland and the west of the European Union more tax laws he doesn't know so I have the world at my feet but my tax accountant is telling me I cannot do business with the west so we're moving to a global world where we speak clusters of languages and the real life things haven't really caught up with that legislation still is very much located in uh, the the local areas like i have to buy my dvds from the uk to get my english language i cannot buy them in america because it's the wrong region code and podcasting has this beneficial thing because most of them are free um, or there is no mechanism to to pay them for. Most of them are free, available through iTunes, and everybody can can use them or some other player wherever you get it from, and it's accessible from everywhere. And this is, I think, the part where podcasting also drew so much. Um, Being somebody who has been around in 2004, I remember the June of, I think it's June or July of 2005, when Apple switched on iTunes. And we had a strong community going on, very grassroots, but that community was not solidified enough to withstand the not 800, but 8,000-pound gorilla uh, of iTunes. I mentioned before I lent my my gigabyte of bandwidth. And there were some people, it was end of the month. iTunes was started and I said, yay, iTunes is coming and podcasting. And two days later, they said, and my quota is gone. And it was like the second of the next month, like three days later, they said, yay, and it's gone again. <laughs> because suddenly the masses came along and said yay podcasting and this is something where podcasting never has recovered from and this is also I think why it's still a little bit stepchildish because it never had the, the chance to grow enough strong enough except for certain exceptions uh, I love how the quality production of most of the podcast has gone up that's also hindering for some people because it's not just me and my headset anymore but it's I, I, comment, I complimented you before on your Great sound recording and I paid a lot of attention to that myself when we have that. And and it's so amazing. There are so many different aspects and it's so fragmented at the same time. And it's, it's hard to see where it's going to be in the future. I just know one thing. Audio for me in whatever form it comes along is part of my daily life. Uh, it's it's the topics I'm interested in, and I, I'm into the tech stuff and everything. Um, and, and whatever other topic you might have, you can go out and find something to your interest based in the languages you are interested in. And, and this is why it's great that it's produced in the local languages. Maybe you want to learn French or Italian, and you can go and probably find your tech podcast in Italian if, if that is something you're interested in. And that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think that I mean it, the the choice is really what's so powerful about it and it and it is free. Though I think that there's probably gonna be a movement towards a little bit more monetization on kind of paid podcasts at some point, but I think it's just uh it's just a matter of time before it kind of a certain subset of content moves in that direction and the the platforms will support monetization on it's very similar to like an audiobook model. Is what I think where it will wind up at some point, but I do still come back to this this um, this language thing. Um, though huge growth in content production in places like China or in in Spain or those are probably not going to impact me directly in my consumption of podcasts. I'm looking at it more from a global perspective and how that might impact. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of overall podcasting uh, and yes. how it's going to grow, and I, th- I, I really am strongly starting to to think that uh, language is going to be the key driver of success for the overall podcasting yeah. in general.
1: Well, you have a uh, you have a part, and this is something where um, <laughs> I don't try to be mean, but it's nice to make fun of Americans once in a yeah. while, uh, because especially, and I, I put in the UK in a similar world, the monolingual English-speaking world has a hard time understanding that there's the rest of the world. Yeah. And uh, I always call it the stepchild syndrome. I'm um, I'm the stepchild, you're the real child, and I always get told, well, not for you. So you have some famous podcasters who go, oh, we have a competition and everything, and it's awesome um on the US for those few states and so hey I'm listening too I have I have my own reach I can I can bring stuff out I make recommendations about things you can buy in the. US I regularly buy in the. US every time uh, somebody like myself comes over we have people before we send out li- I buy my stuff on Amazon get it delivered to a friend who then brings it to me into the hotel where we meet and then I bring it back we usually have an empty suitcase with that because we bring so much stuff back because the exchange rate is so great and we have this kind of stuff where we where we go around. And as you said, the language part, uh, is it going to impact you personally? No, except you want to learn something new. But you are, as a, as, as the receiver, a kind of set. And I, I wanted to say about the monetization, uh, many people always think you have to do payment for that kind of stuff. I think it's a great thing if you have advertisement, if you have some kind of other ways. Um, I've done, for example... Uh, podcasts in the past. I I like to do pre-conference podcasts, uh, and my benefit, my payment out of that for putting in that kind of work uh, was, first of all, I got to talk to a lot of interesting people. And I'm an introvert, so uh, it's harder for me to talk to people, which you probably wouldn't <laughs> be listening to this. Um, but it's, it's 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 not hard yeah. for me, and I'm not shy or anything, but it's an effort for me to say and work a room or anything. By podcasting, I have people passing me by, turning around, saying, you're Nicole, right? Yeah. I, I recognize your voice, so I put something in i get a feedback and i can also tell you let me for example as a podcaster give me sometimes reasons to do demographics i can tell you something about myself i'm mildly willing to give you some information as a podcaster and then you can tell people well we have an international audience we have an audience from 32 something this is their school degree and blah 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 you came back to the question and leading up to that if it doesn't concern me personally should it concern me on a global level that changes are done because the audience is just so much bigger for example in China or in India and I think yes because if I'm an international company and I say well I have money to spend on a podcast or on some other way and there we have a billion Chinese or we have just 280 million U.S. Uh, citizens. How? Oh, let's go with the Chinese. Uh, then it could be relevant also for big language clusters like Spanish or like English, because maybe those people then say, "Well, I have an easier time going to that audience." Uh, and also, there's a part when certain. Uh, changes are happening. Like, it's great that the app economy is coming out of Silicon Valley, but in traditional mobile sense, America is something which I have fun with every single time I'm over there. Every time I make a photograph of some advertisement where they call it least dropped calls of all the providers... Drop calls in Germany happen when you drive on the Autobahn with 200, and you have a phone conversation, and you're changing towers, and even then you don't have drop calls. Yeah. So, there's different technical standards, and there's different movement towards it, and it seems totally unrelated, but there was a big article on supply change management, chain management from Apple. Uh, And they actually said, well, we produce in China because we have customers worldwide, Uh, and why not produce in China, especially when there is a scale uh, we can get, if we need 30,000 workers today, uh, additional to what we have in America, we... We don't even have it all over America. In China, we just go over to the next company who has them And there was there's this outcry from the Americans, for example, to say, "Oh, it has to be produced in the US because otherwise, and that's the point when I say, well there is a global world and we have money too." And uh, by the way, are you realizing what it means if you think? In, in local terms. And this is why the keynote from Apple was so interesting because the MacBook Pro is going to be assembled in the U.S., yeah. which probably just means putting three pieces together, but suddenly it has the label done in the U.S. And by by comparison, if I, for example, look at the market, you were again talking about the global perspective. Uh, if I speak here in, in Germany English... Uh, And you need a producer for your podcast or you need somebody to do something for your podcast. Everything is virtual. I can do that from here. I may have different living costs. And suddenly there's a movement from the international side and the international production levels because maybe I'm fully trained. And it doesn't really matter, for example, if, if I only speak Chinese. Um and I just need to clean up your audio and get out all the ams and the ooms and if you pay me two dollars an hour, I, I'm richly paid. That is a different perspective on global. So it's great and relevant to look at these global movements and pay attention closely to them to identify the chances, hey, maybe I can do something in a different language and have more, more yeah. reach or more interest, but also the parts where it's about going to different markets. And there's one tip, if you really have a successful podcast, for example, and you have the content. Because it's always about the content, do start, for example, talking to others and and make. Uh alliances with them and say for example to the german hey we're going to help you out with the content we produce the stuff we make stuff for you we make bumpers or whatever we make them a little bit more international so they are also consumable by a german and then suddenly could you could have an international reach with somebody producing the same thing in german and just reading show notes or whatever and it doesn't matter that you don't speak german because then it's your brand which can grow uh, and go international. So there's a lot of chances and opportunities. But first you have to realize that there is a world uh, out there. And I I love your numbers, uh, especially talking on the Chinese part, uh, because today they speak Chinese, but tomorrow they could also listen in English and again become my customers. It's it's a running joke with Americans and, and there is a... The same version of making fun of Europeans, for mm-hmm. example, of not going out in English. So I, c- I can provide you with them as well. But saying, have you ever looked at your numbers? Yeah. Have you ever looked at your numbers of how much of the traffic is coming from outside of the US? And have you ever thought about what it means that you treat them like stepchilds? Yeah. Well, I think that, that you don't acknowledge yeah, them. The,
0: the trend that we're seeing here is the, the, the consumption side in China is what's mm-hmm. really starting to take over. And I could see it within yes. the next maybe the next year or two that uh, China uh, rises up to the number one position and displaces the United mm-hmm. States from a consumption perspective, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. Just just because of sheer numbers. I mean, I think that there's yep. more people connecting to the internet now over their mobile phones or tablets or whatever in China than the entire population of the United States right now. Yeah. So clearly yeah. you can see that, um, that the path that that's on is going to be um, is gonna take them up past the UK and past the United States to be the number one consuming country for on demand media content. And it's gonna impact more than just podcasts. It's gonna impact music, it's gonna impact all sorts of stuff depending on what's everything blocked or yeah. not blocked by the, the big Chinese red firewall. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and you have a point in there, and this is why I, I asked to start basically with, with my story of uh, rejecting English till 2002, really rejecting it and then getting back into it. And um, I would say by by like six years later, by 2008, I had roughly the fluency I have today, so I got back into that. But I had the big advantage, I only had to recover Uh, I only had to recover and learn vocabulary because the groundwork was laid. Um, And we always had in the back of our mind that there is a bigger world out there and it's English speaking. So that was a given which I was growing up with. So for me, it was always clear there was more to see outside. Imagine me being in a little village. I always knew that there was a big town. And the challenge I see with the American market and to, to a degree with the UK market, but there on the little island, and that's special in itself. Um, I love it when I talk about the central European stuff. And it's like, yeah, what's that Central European stuff? Um, that's 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 very different. No, but the Americans are grown up with, we are the world. Um, and and it sounds maybe harsher than I mean it, but there is the sense of like, we are the top of the food chain and you never came to the idea that there might really be something else out there. And every time I'm in America, I watch television and, and America has a huge size and that's part of the problem. The news start with what's happened locally, then you're state. and maybe the country and if it's something really, really big, then maybe you get a note of two seconds of, Oh, there's the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, because an American is someplace in a world and, but everything is so American focused that you grow up with this understanding of this is like everything there is. So for you, the idea of, um, China or somebody else coming is, is going to send you from, uh, going to put you into more challenges than for me. Take, for example, a pupil who always, or a student who always has been bad grading by uh, and i'm not saying uh, has, he has a three level because you're american i'm going to say he has a c level c level to d level that person has has learned failure all of his life and knows how to deal with it knows he needs to get at least a c um to get something like college or whatever he's he's used to that and this is me knowing that there's another language world out there you basically are the a student who for the first time suddenly gets an f yeah in a very important test. Right. You're screwed. You're screwed because you have no coping mechanism. You don't understand what's happening. You suddenly get views from your parents and and you don't really, this is, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, this is what's happening in, in the mindset of the, that kind of people. Said, so, oh my God, and you, you are much, you're falling much harder and have a much harder time to get back from that. This is why we sometimes hear when really good students get suddenly a bad note, they Kind of fall into depression yeah. and and really go off the rails because they are hit so hard and it's so unexpected. And I think something not similar but slow, slow roughly along those lines could happen to you if you don't, for example, pay attention to uh, what's happening in China. And you said something very important: the consumption in China is going through mobile. Yeah. And if I'm a producer on a global scale, I need to realize, I need to observe, I need to be the producer, not the consumer, uh, the consumer in the American market who has a bad network and has data caps or whatever. I need to look at this Chinese market and say, huh, if they are going like this today and that's working, what does that mean, for example, for the future here? German Telecom has just made very many enemies by threatening net neutrality because they're imposing a data cap of 200 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. That seems ridiculous to most people currently, and I watched last year Wimbledon through BBC streaming and the Olympics, and I used 130 gigabytes in a month. But still, there's, there's a lot of stuff coming, and they're preparing for the future. You may not hit the 200 gigabytes now, but give uh, HD television through streaming on the internet. And as you know, most of the Netflix stuff um, is is making by numbers 40% of the American web traffic in the evenings, as far as I know. Um, And and if you look at the futures, and Netflix's video has nothing to do with podcasts, but you have so many similarities that you need to look to the big brother, uh, like, like television, like streaming, like Netflix, and you need to look to the other countries like China or some other things to say, wait a moment, they're coming from mobile. And then you look around. Most people nowadays don't consume anything through their desktop. They Have their tablets, they have their mobile phones. That's the point when you start looking around saying, okay, do we have any working podcasting clients? who actually do this kind of downloading, who support multiple devices. It doesn't matter if you have an iOS device or an Android device. You need to think in multiple devices. How does my stuff look on the different platforms? Do I maybe provide different options for subscribing? Mm -hmm. One of the things I like of the Twit Network is they provide audio. And they also provide different versions of video, and you can do live streaming if you want, and awesome. I would like to listen to the Gilmore Gang, but the only way to get that is to subscribe to a weekly video, which is a gigabyte big, for an hour. And I just want to listen to the audio. I'm not subscribing to that. So looking at things like China is mostly mobile. We all have mobile phones. Where is the shift? And then again, we come to please look at your numbers. And most people are very surprised when they look at the statistic and realize most statistics have a setting for, at least when you look at stuff like Google Analytics, they can tell you how many Android visitors you have, how many iPad visitors you have. And most people never look there and suddenly they realize oh shoot, twenty percent, twenty-five percent are already coming to a website through mobile devices. Most of them are iOS and our player on our website is flash. Yep.
0: And it doesn't play.
1: Super. <laughs> and it doesn't play and it doesn't see. And this is again where I say see with many of the successful podcasters, this is what they understand. I need to provide text so people can the the, the search engines can scan the text, send me visitors. I need them to have a website which is uh, confined enough that anybody who comes through anything like a link from a friend, like a like from a Facebook, a tweet or whatever, they come to my webpage, they come to my player and say, Oh, this is interesting. This is for example, why you never linked to an audio file. You always link to a blog posting and they could come from anywhere. So what is this podcast about? And maybe they want to listen through a mobile device. Maybe I have different options, different variations of that. And I hopefully have at least a simple, just, um, thought about it today because I was uh, walking looking at my stream of uh, podcasts I have in there and I think I have 20 podcasts on my mobile device and I actually five of them don't have cover art. Yeah. And the, cover, the people who have cover art, the good ones is which I can just roughly look at and I know, oh, this is where I want to click on. And it's all the small little details and this comes the global perspective yep. again. In the past, you were the single person who did something in your small village and suddenly everybody can reach your customers or reach your listeners. And this is what I call, and this is where you can tell I'm a consultant, Um, this is what I call the airbag principle. You're bringing out a new car, that's awesome, but if you tell the market you don't have any airbags in it, that's interesting, but nobody's going to buy your car because people are used to having... Airbags, left, right, center, and whatever. So in terms of podcasting, I expect great quality. I expect uh, good download numbers, uh, good download speed. I expect it to be an image. I expect yeah. it to some degree to be show notes and so on. And this is where the global perspective comes in again. If the the world uh, suddenly has access to uh, your listeners and you're just going by and not being great right with that and suddenly somebody comes from the outside in does it better, And there's a flip side to the local produced content. The local produced content in local language usually is of a lower quality content-wise than what we have internationally because they don't have to try so hard. And I'm always looking forward when the Americans, most of them, finally get their act together and say, there's a market, 120 million Germans speaking in Europe alone. Awesome, we want that. Then they come in like the professionals and they... Pull out all the stops and do all the professional stuff, making the local ones look old to that degree. Um, and so it's it's a highly interesting thing to watch it from both of the sides, like from the German side as well as from uh, the English side. So this is this is exciting. This is what you call popcorn. You just sit back and say, okay, let's let's watch how that works, um, and and then move on from there and say, okay. Your mobile example has an equivalent in America, and that's the consoles. Um, listening to American podcasts, I know that in, in America, consoles have a lot of connection to the TVs, have apps in there. You have your Netflix, you have your Hulu, and you have some other stuff. And as far as I know, I think it's is it Stitcher, or what is it, what you have on the consoles to access podcasting? There is something. Uh,
0: well, it depends on which console you're talking about. You're talking about Xbox. It, it does not have any podcast app. Currently in it today, but yeah,
1: the stepchild audio (laughs) again. But but I think some of some of them have have something. So yeah,
0: Stitcher is in in cars and and yeah in cars um, that was it you know in in phone apps and things like that is primarily where they're at today. And they also have a website too that you can play off of it as well. Yeah,
1: when when. And and now I come I, I I'm the normal person. I don't have a desktop anymore. This is about watching trends again. But suddenly everybody goes to the entertainment center. Uh, and says, okay, I don't have my radio station anymore. I have my entertainment center. Uh, and and then this is why as a podcaster, I need to have a look at what's happening with the consoles and who can we support to finally also have maybe podcasts mm. on there. Um, and, and this is also about spreading, spreading your stuff everywhere who might want to listen to it. And this is where it would be great if more people would work together and say, uh, not I want to play in my own little sandbox, but work together and say, dear Microsoft, Dear Sony, we want you also to provide that part with the audio because we have content. This is then again where usually those console providers say well there's no business model behind it Um, this is when we go back to podcasting slightly being the stepchild not so grown not so big as video but at the end of the day and that ties back to the question i ask you about your languages do you really care you personally how much video content is out there and if you're like me you probably will say nah i don't I do video. I watch video, some things, but my main consumption is not YouTube. My main consumption is yeah. my audio. So I would use even a console, maybe a little bit for gaming, but also I would never use it for TV because I don't watch TV. So give me give yeah. me audio. Well,
0: I mean, a lot of people, um, especially younger people, will get like maybe an Xbox or or you know a PS4 or PS3 um, to put in their, their living room and they may have a studio apartment or something like that. And yeah. that is their, like their radio, right? It could be their radio. Mm-hmm. And, and actually one of the most popular apps on the Xbox console today is Pandora. So it does yeah. kind of speak to that console concept of being kind of the center of your entertainment in, in your home per se, not so much when you're out of the house, but I mean, clearly, cause you're totally away from it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, that the console is an important piece to this, but but I do think that mobile is is far more important. Um, and I yes, and I also need to speak. You know, I've been speaking a lot about Chinese and kind of how they're going to sit at the number one ranking. But if you look at all the other languages of the world, um, you know, the Spanish and Russian and and French and all those, there, there's hundreds of millions of people that speak those languages. Um, the yeah. question gets back to...
1: And they still, and they still prefer yeah, those exactly. languages. And if you take out the French who are kind of special about the language out of that, um, then actually you also have the part where even in the future, uh, as much as I like the Fish and everything, and as much as I do daily talking in English, uh, German will still always have a different yeah. meaning to me than yeah. any other language. No, Sorry, I funny. interrupted and you. And the,
0: the the bigger perspective is is that um, um, I I wonder though in each of those countries, uh, the the bigger media companies or the state run kind of media in each of those countries, will they produce um, content in English and in the local language? Now, granted, it's probably more difficult for a small con- content provider to to produce two different versions of their show one in English and one in local language but will the bigger media companies in those countries um, do both because they have the resources to, to do that and maybe they have a desire to reach a global audience more than maybe a local podcaster might
1: Yeah, and you had, um, and I'm, I'm a bad girl because I had my mobile phone not lying next to me. So I checked my email because I can listen to you and still look at my email. But I, I do have a point with this. Um, I got a message from Facebook that they actually now are finally also supporting hashtags uh new with wow. Facebook, and Facebook is a great example. I, I loved it when Facebook started to become bigger, and I saw that in America, of course, and it had a relevancy, and they were trying to get speaking gigs here in Germany, uh, and they were told, yeah, you can come at, at one one big, big digital conference, and you can have that room over there, and then you can have a conversation and blah, and they said, no, we want to do the keynote, and the conference organizers went, Why? Because we are Facebook, we are the world-leading network. And he said, yeah, but not in Germany. Uh, we had a competitor, a copycat called said, which was really like the German audience was on one of those networks. And Facebook was like, meh, something people do who also had American friends or, or international friends. Similar to that we don't use LinkedIn. We have a different network here. And you have a second profile on LinkedIn for your international contacts. And they were shocked by that. And Facebook is nowadays the number one network in uh, Germany, and that only changed and started since they actually started to have their interface in German, because before it was in English, was not easily understood, was not usable for most people who don't have a fluency in English, and they are hesitant against English. They used to, and, and the other one which looks. Completely the same is available in German. Think again about the podcast. I have a tech uh, podcast in English or just take something I have a cooking podcast or whatever or science fiction podcast in English or I have the same in German the one in German has roughly the same content I can understand it better I'll go to the German one but if the other thing also comes in German suddenly I will switch over to the more international one because they will have better stories more interesting guests and everything and this is what you said with your second point the international companies uh, will they be producing internationally only if they have an international mindset and if you have an international mindset, you don't go out and um you go out and make the work correctly the first time. And I call that the basement principle. Imagine you actually have built a house and it doesn't have a basement and it has a flat roof. And suddenly you have the idea you want to have a basement. That's going to be maybe impossible and very expensive because you didn't plan it from the get-go. If you had planned from the get-go, you had a A kind of basement, not very built out, uh, the dry walls on the walls still, but you had a basement. At a later point, you can make it pretty. And this is when you plan, say, okay, uh, we have this English-speaking podcast. We're also going to have that in French and in Italian. And we need to have those steps for translation. We need to have graphics. We need to have this. We need to have that. If you plan it correctly, lay it all out, you know uh, how to, to streamline this kind of process and say, okay, we need this, we need that. At that point, we can go to that direction. And for example, uh, the people always go and say Microsoft is so slow in releasing, for example, their operating system. What most people don't know is, when for example Microsoft is releasing something, they're releasing in like I don't know how many languages, uh, and we're not just talking about the big uh-huh. languages like French, German, Spain, or whatever. I, I, think I was all uh, I once I worked.
0: Think. In- That's what they're-
1: <laughs> like like if it's if it's spoken by three people i i was select customer um with with my old company and we would get i would get every single month like 25 discs with fifty five version of languages, but that takes time if you want to translate it good and properly into all of these languages, so it costs you a little bit of time. But those international companies uh, I know for example, The Huffington Post wants to go locally here in germany they 've been searching for people left and right. But the problem then usually is a cultural one it 's not the production process. they could do it. They, you write your American okay. stories and then you just let them yeah. translate yeah. awesome, right. You know who Ariana Huffington is, and you know who Kobe Bryant is, and you know who Oleg Baldwin is. The German may be knowing who Alec Baldwin is, but who's this Kobe, and isn't that a beef? Yeah. Um, so, you also need then to think internationally in sense of, okay, if I go, for example, into uh, into the local market, what do I have to do and adapt content-wise so people understand it? Uh, but if you plan that properly and the big companies who have the resources, if they have the mindset, they will build a house with basement and yeah. an empty roof so they can go full force. But it takes a little bit of a different thinking sometimes uh, for example, when you uh, say, "Oh, you can watch us live at uh, 5 p.m. Uh, Western, Eastern time, or, or Central time," I know by now what time that is in my time translation because I know you don't give me the exact numbers. I also can translate ounces. I can translate inches. Uh, It would be so much easier, for example, if you have a production podcast and I know I'm talking video again. I like to watch cooking videos. I can't cook. I'm still hoping to learn cooking through videos. And there are so many degrees Fahrenheit and there are so many ounces of something. It would be so easy for the people to just have on the screen also the gram also the, the Celsius, that would be so easy and it would increase their audience by so much. It's the little things always which which make that. But no, those production companies that thinking they have the resources, if they come from locally, uh, like a German company, for example, the, the same... Naivete and the same not knowing that there's a world outside applies to them. They go, well, we could go international, but we are market leader here. We don't want to play catch up in, in the different countries, so we stay in our core market. Uh, and if, for example, the agencies and the advertisers are not willing to support the international content uh, if a German company comes out and says, hey, we want to do something international, how about you, American company, give us the money? They will look at that and say, our American headquarters handling that. We come to you, uh, but you don't come to us. So there's this different way to get the payment from, who is the is taking the lead on this kind of production. And that's moving slowly towards a more international thinking. Uh, absolutely, even from the local language markets, but it's still going to take some time. But it's interesting, as you mentioned also, the consumption is different. Uh, normal people who lived all their life in their language bubble suddenly realize, hey, there's a world out there. And I have my friends who are living now in Australia. And I have my other friends I met in, in the vacation and they're in America. And they're all on Facebook and they're talking about this and that TV show. I'm interested and in, let me check that out. So we are becoming more global. Uh, in this sense, and this is not going to be English as an American. Uh, I always like to say that English is, for me, at least currently, the lingua franca, the the language everybody agreed on that we are talking about that, and in, in this language. And that is, many confuse that. That's not imperialism. That's just the thing we all know. It could be Esperanto, it could be French or something else, but by chance, it actually is English. That's the kind of stuff I love talking about. So this is more or less a problem uh, to, to to find. It's, it's not an easy topic to, and, and we live in a complicated world, and it's a reflection of that. There is no one solution to that. There is not one answer, and it's something we will watch in the future. And uh for example, you mentioned the China statistics, and I have no interest in China, but now you sparked my interest, and I will pay close attention to your, I don't know where you actually posted, to say, okay, maybe he can get me some of those China numbers, yeah. and vice versa. I'm the one writing the German perspective sometimes on things, or um, the European perspective, then sometimes people come to me and say, wait, I, I, I saw your comment on that. And this is how we truly come to a international understanding, um, and, and truly start to become more of a world and not just countries. Uh, and as much as we have still many problems to get over, I think we are slowly transcending towards something where there is going to be uh, not the world peace, yeah. but something hopefully in in that direction and i'm looking yeah, forward to i just to think it.
0: that the rest of the world is joining in on the yes. conversation and going to be more included in in the um, the online media world and i think that that's that that's a good thing but it is going to be shocking to a lot of people in the <laughs> united states or the, mm-hmm. the the english side of the fence to to figure out how to kind of take that all in and be able to to manage it right
1: and you, you should do it in slow doses. And one of the comments I very often get, and maybe that is the last point, um, when they say, well, all people I meet from Europe, from Germany, from whatever, they all speak great English like you. And that's the point. The others are not talking to you. Uh, because they don't feel confident enough, because they feel stupid, because they can't express themselves. So that is why sometimes the idea arises, well, they can speak English anyhow, so what's the problem? Uh, Most of the people still don't do English well, or other languages well. Uh, People who are really fluent in in more than one language um, are not that often, and I do get kind of uh, flack here uh, if, for example, I, I talk to a German on from my Twitter account, I do also answer in German uh, in English, and then I get something. We are both German. Why are you not speaking German? Um, that's stupid. And you get attacked, for example, for being international for. Bringing stuff over and saying, "Well, I saw this, and this is where I have my conversations," or even saying, "Hey, I was in America. I was at a conference. I spoke to these people." Oh, yo, just want to show off. So you have to have a thick, thick thin- skin to some degree. But most people I meet who are like myself, we say, "Well, they can talk as much as they want because the other side is much more more interesting." So just be more, a little bit more inclusive, and start looking around. Try to find. The, the people like me and say, okay, I'm interested, I don't know, let's take something which is totally off the chart. I'm interested in somebody in Africa. Uh, you don't need to start speaking Swahili or whatever language is actually in there. You will find interested people who have reached the international level who will be happy to talk to you in English, in fluent English, uh, and, and get you a different perspective on it. And, and it helps. I, I've never learned so much about my own country and even my own language than since I started going into this English sphere. Because suddenly I see differences. Suddenly I ask myself, hey, why is this in German like that? How, why are we behaving here like this? I see a difference in my behavior. So going into a second language also means uh, going into a different reflection about your own country. And even if you're old, you still can learn vocabulary. My tip for that always is podcasting all the time. Uh, and the biggest thing you can do is flashcard with vocabulary and then just embrace uh, the podcast you can have. Take children, books, which you know, and which or books you like, or TV shows you like, and do them in a the different language with the subtitles of the different language. Just be prepared. That's sometimes really bad. And then you realize why all of us are actually trying to watch the originals. Uh, but, but it's easy to do, and you can even do it if you're, like, very old. Uh, like, even if you're 60, you can start and learn a different language. It will enrich your world. I don't think it's going to be Mandarin. Yeah, it
0: probably won't be. <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask you, what um, what would be or where would be the best place for people listening to this to um, to read up on you and learn more about you?
1: But actually, I think the, the easiest way um, is for me to get in touch. Like, for example, on Twitter, uh, that would be Nicole Simon. And I do actually... Um, When I blog nowadays, uh, and this is also an interesting change, I don't do it anymore on my blog. I mostly blog on Google+, um, and and have my my things there on Facebook. So if you just go to nicole-simon.eu, uh, I have the links to all of the other places there, and um thankfully i'm I'm usually early enough to get Nicole Simon as a username yeah uh, so and that is that is quite a quite a feat because there are so many Nicole Simons out there, but most of them are much slower than I am
0: <laughs> thank you very much for sharing all your thoughts on the show with me
1: absolutely and i i love i love especially also the feedback of people when and, and their own ideas and what they see and also their perspective like if for example you're an american what's your what's your perspective on what you heard and i i think this is great that you're actually taking on this task to having these different voices all absolutely. right well
0: thank you so much for for spending so much time with me today it's great all right. absolutely and thank you okay. for asking me take care all right, that was a great conversation with Nicole. I I know it was a little long, but there's a lot of great stuff in that conversation. And I'm, I'm really thankful to Nicole for spending so much time with me on Skype from Berlin, Germany. So thank you, Nicole. So I'm also gonna add links to the topics that I've discussed in this in this show um, on, on my website as part of the blog post at robgreenly.com. Yeah, I also wanted to add some comments here that have appeared on my blog for last week's show. The The first one here is Jamie Davis, who runs a podcast a network called Medicast, and that's M-E-D-I-C-C-A-S-T dot com. And he says, uh, Rob, thanks for the information and analysis. I didn't know China was moving up so high in the stats for all podcasters. I thought uh, it was just Uh, me because my shows are medical in nature. It's a good observation. I think a lot of podcasters had that observation about realizing that that China was going to become such a big influence in this space. So thank you so much, Jamie, for the comment on the blog. I certainly appreciate it. And as you can hear, I love getting your ideas and your thoughts on the show here. So please send me an email with your, your thoughts or just go ahead and post a comment to the blog here and I, I will definitely get it on the, the show here. And if you wanna send me an MP3, I'd be happy to, to play that on the show as well, to go ahead and send that to rob at robgreenly.com Well, that's it for this week, and my name is Rob Greenlee, and thanks again for listening to my thoughts here. I also host uh, the New Media Show every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, noon Eastern Time, uh, with Todd Cochran, CEO of Raw Voice. Uh, you can watch it live. Um, via video at live.geeknewscentral.com. And I definitely want to hear your thoughts. So please send me a tweet at uh, Rob Greenlee or just do it in the comment area of robgreenlee.com. So, and if you're a podcaster, shoot me an email um, to podcasts at microsoft.com and I'll get your podcast in the, the Windows Phone catalog. So thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next week.